The story is told of a village that was suffering from a severe drought. And if rain didn't come soon, they were in danger of losing their crop for the year. Uh, the local priest told the villagers, go home and, and fast during the week. Have faith and believe. Then come on Sunday and I will pray for rain. And I know rain will come. Well, the villagers heard him. They fasted during the week and went to church on Sunday. And when the priest saw them, he was furious and told them to go away. He would not be praying for them. And the villagers protested. But we fasted and we believed. The priest replied, believe? Then where are your umbrellas? Well, I'm not sure if this incident actually took place, but the point it makes should sound familiar to us. Faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And it means living as if God's promise for the future is sure and his power in the present is real. Well, this past few weeks, Keith has been preaching on the men and women of faith listed in Hebrews chapter 11. We have so far covered Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. The pattern is fairly consistent. These people had faith. And their faith was evident from the fact that when they received God's call, they believed and they obeyed. And often that obedience came at a great cost. And this morning, we will be continuing with largely the same trajectory. The main character in our passage today is Mary, the mother of Jesus, a woman of faith. She's however not listed among the men and women of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But nevertheless, like the others, there is much we can learn from Mary on this issue of faith. So do open your Bibles to the passage that was read earlier. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. We'll be looking at this passage in some other verses as well. So do keep your Bible open. There'll also be an outline on the screen to give you a steer as to where we're heading this morning. Our sermon this morning will look at the core of faith, the criteria for faith, and the cost of faith. Well, firstly, the call of faith. Our passage starts off with the words, in the sixth month. Well, that should present us with the first question. The sixth month of what? And if you look at the passage just before this, you'll quickly see that it refers to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth, who is a relative of Mary and well advanced in age, was pregnant with John the Baptist. Her pregnancy came about also from a visitation from the angel Gabriel who appeared to her husband, Zechariah, to announce to him that Elizabeth, who had been barren, would conceive. And so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, we are told the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. The very fact that Luke had to inform his readers that Nazareth was a city in Galilee tells us that Nazareth was not a very significant place. Well, for instance, you don't hear of uh, people speaking of Jerusalem as the city of Judah. In fact, even though it's called a city, we shouldn't be thinking about it as some sort of a bustling metropolis. It was probably no more than a rural village at this time, and a rural village with a bad reputation. 
If you recall in John chapter 1, verse 4, when Nathanael was told by Philip, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Remember Nathanael's response? He asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so for perspective, get this. The most important event in history, the birth of Jesus, the event that would divide our history into two so that in our calendar, every event would be dated now either before or after the birth of Jesus, such a momentous event in history would be announced in a humble home in the rural village of Nazareth. And we all know um, at this stage, all that we've been told about Mary is that she was a virgin, betrothed to marry a man named Joseph. And given the practice back in those days, Mary was likely to be in her early teens, probably between 12 to 14 years old. We have no records of her having achieved anything significant in her life at this stage. Well, she was certainly not born into a prominent family. If anything, it is likely that she was poor and came from a humble background. And if not for what God had in mind for her, Mary's life would be ordinary. Well, she would marry humbly, give birth to numerous poor children, never travel further than a few miles from home, and one day die like thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Martin Luther commented on God's choice of Mary this way, and I quote, he might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas' daughter, who was fair, rich, clad in gold embroidered raiment, and attended by a retinue of maids in waiting. But God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. End quote. And in a sense, this reveals for us both the nature of God's plan as well as the character of God's heart. And our first point about this call of faith is that no one can ever be too humble or too poor or too ordinary to receive God's call. God can call anyone regardless of their status in life, their age, their gender, their education, how rich or how poor they are. And so we see he can use someone like Elizabeth, advanced in years, married to a priest, working in the temple in Jerusalem, or he can work with a teenage girl from a rural village in Nazareth. God uses whomever he wills. The second point we want to make about the call of faith is that it is entirely based on the divine sovereignty of God. And what I mean is this, that from start to finish, it is God's doing. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, his first words recorded in verse 28 were, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then he goes on to say, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Can you see what's happening here? Mary hasn't done anything. She was chosen as a favored one, not unmarried. And there must be hundreds of girls who would fit her profile in Galilee. But God chose her as his instrument for the demonstration of his grace. It was entirely God's choosing. This call of faith is entirely based on the divine sovereignty of God. 
Well, the third point regarding this call of faith is that it is about God fulfilling his promise. We have a God who makes promises and he keeps them. We have a promise keeping God. Well, follow along with me as we look at what the angel Gabriel says about the child that Mary will give birth to. He tells her in verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, meaning Yahweh saves, or salvation is from Yahweh. This baby was to be God's means of salvation for humankind. The angel Gabriel goes on to say, he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. Well, Most High here is another way of referring to God. And so this literally means that Jesus will be great and he will be called the son of God. And then angel Gabriel goes on to say, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Well, we know Jesus is from the line of David, and that's why Luke mentions in chapter 1, verse 27, that Mary was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Because under legal precedence in the Jewish culture, a child is allowed to take the lineage from a non-biological father. Well, here we are told God will give Jesus the throne of his father, David. And this is exactly what God had promised King David when he made a covenant with him in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Well, Benita uh, read this passage for us earlier. And starting with verse 12, God told King David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom forever. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, foretold that a child will be born one day who will rule on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And this is exactly what our passage today in Luke chapter 1, verse 33 tells us. Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In the angel Gabriel's announcement, we see that this call of faith is about God fulfilling his promise made long ago to his people. Well, next, the criteria for faith. What does it take to have faith? Well, I've often heard from people who might share the gospel with, they'll tell me, you know, I can't believe. I don't fully understand. And I don't have your faith. It is not uncommon for people to think that faith requires a suspension of our mental faculty, as if faith is possible only if we are prepared to take a leap in the dark. And atheists once defined faith as belief without evidence in what is told by one who speaks without knowledge of things without parallel. Well, perhaps there are a few of you here this morning who feel that way. But can I suggest that we can trust, we can believe even when we do not fully understand. And this is what's happening here with Mary. After the angel Gabriel tells her that she would conceive and bear a son, her response in verse 34 was, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Well, Mary may not have sat for her grade 12 biology exams, 
but she knew babies were only possible after sexual intercourse with a man. And since she was a virgin, it was not humanly possible for her to conceive. But note her line of questioning was not that she doubted it was possible, but rather how it would come about. And that's a crucial difference. You see, earlier on, when the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth, who was advanced in age and barren, was going to have a son, Zechariah's response in verse 18 was, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. It is a fine line, I know. But his question came from unbelief. And how do we know that? Because the angel Gabriel tells us that in verse 20. In fact, Zechariah's unbelief would result in him being struck dumb until his son was born. But that was not the case with Mary. When she asked the angel in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's not asking, can you do it? But rather, she's asking, how will you do it? She accepts that she will bear a son. Her question is, how will that come about? She had faith in Angel Gabriel's words. She trusted them, and she believed even when she didn't fully understand. And in one sense, we do that every day, don't we? While I can trust and I can believe that this very moment, this Zoom video is transmitting what I'm saying and how I look accurately to all of you. And I haven't got a four years understanding about how it works, the computer codes, the algorithms involved, and so on. Well, I hope to get my COVID-19 vaccine sometime next year, and I don't begin to understand anything about how vaccines actually work. But I have faith that it will do what it needs to do, and that is to protect me from the effects of the virus. And having faith does not require us to know it all. Like Mary, we, we can believe even if we don't fully understand. Having faith does not mean that I have no more questions. Like Mary, I can have faith and still have questions. And I have questions simply because I don't fully understand everything. But there are questions that do not necessarily have to come from doubt or unbelief. But having said all that, if I believe, I will want to know. I will want to understand more and more. I will want to do that so that my faith can be further strengthened by my knowledge and my understanding. And in a sense, that's what we see in Mary, isn't it? In our passage today, we are told in verse 29 that when Mary heard what the angel said, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern and what sort of greeting this might be. Mary was trying to understand. She was trying to discern what was happening. Or remember in the next chapter, in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 15, when the shepherds were told by the angels that Jesus was born, they hurried to Bethlehem to see Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus lying in a manger. When they saw him, the shepherds related what they were told about baby Jesus. And in one innocuous sentence, in verse 19, we are told that, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The same thing happened further down in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 49, when Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And when they left Jerusalem, they realized Jesus was not with them. And after looking for him and finding him in a temple, Mary asked Jesus, 
why he had remained in the temple when they had all left. And Jesus responded, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And then we are told that they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. But in verse 51, we are told that Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. And so you see, Mary is always trying to discern, to ponder, and always treasuring things in her heart as she seeks to understand better all that's happening around her. And this should be our attitude, especially in this frenetic, uncontemplative times that we live in. We who believe will do well to ponder what God is saying to us each day, even as we study his word. We will not fully understand everything at this time, but we must endeavor to grow in our understanding over time. And this will serve to strengthen our faith. And so our first point in the criteria for faith is that we can believe even when we do not fully understand. Our second point, we can humbly submit even when it seems impossible to believe. Look at verse 38. The angel Gabriel tells Mary that she will conceive when the Holy Spirit comes upon her and the power of the Most High overshadows her. Well, I'm not sure if that explanation by itself answers every question that Mary might have had in her mind. But here's where God is merciful. He gives a sign. And the sign for Mary was that even her relative Elizabeth would be giving birth to a son in her old age, barren as she was. And as if to underline the point, Angel Gabriel told Mary in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Which must have brought to mind for Mary of another time when God said the same thing about another barren woman who was advanced in age. Well, we saw that last week, didn't we? When Keith preached on uh, Sarah, the wife of Abraham. It was in Genesis chapter 18, verse 13, when we read that the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Indeed, is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing will be impossible with God. And as Keith quoted last week from a commentator who said, and I quote, the story of Abraham and Sarah illustrates the certainty of the divine promise such that all humanly perceived boundaries of probability and possibility are broken down and powerless in its face. What God has promised he will do and what he has promised is located beyond all the boundaries of the present creation. End quote. The same is true for Mary. What is told to her transcends all humanly perceived boundaries of probability and possibility. But for Mary, it was sufficient that God had spoken. She believed and she replied to the angel Gabriel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary considered herself a servant ready to do her master's bidding. And essentially, this is what she's saying. Lord, use my body. Lord, use my life. And let your will be done, not mine. She was able to humbly submit, even when it seems impossible to believe. Our third point is that we can be thankful even when what we believe is not yet fulfilled. 
Well, we're told that the angel appeared to Mary when Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Mary didn't know at that time that Elizabeth was pregnant. But when she was told, and we read that in verse 39, uh, once she knew that, Mary went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah to see Elizabeth. And in verse 56, further down we read, and Mary remained with her, as in Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. Well, a quick calculation tells you that if the angel appealed to Mary when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, and then we are told that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months and then left for home without seeing Elizabeth deliver, it must mean that Mary left immediately after her encounter with the angel. Well, because I believe it takes about nine months from conception to delivery. And if Mary left immediately after her encounter with the angel, she would still be very much in the early stages of her pregnancy. Her tummy wouldn't be showing, for instance. But yet at this stage, Mary was expressing her thankfulness as if God had already done all that he promised. Oh, we see that in the Magnificat, Mary's song of praise. Look further down in verse 20, 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You see, Mary praises God and rejoices in him as if he had already done all the things that he promised through the angel Gabriel. Now look at all the past tense of the verbs used here. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He whose mighty has done great things for me. And Elizabeth confirms this when she said of Mary in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary is thankful even when what she believed was not yet fulfilled. And that's the third point for the criteria for faith. We can be thankful even when what we believe is not yet fulfilled because we know it will be one day. And that is why faith is assurance of things hoped for. Mary believed even when what was promised was not yet fulfilled. And that was an indication of the faith that she had, the assurance she had of the things hoped for. And based on that faith, she gave thanks. And so can we. We can be thankful even when what we believe is not yet fulfilled. Next, the cause of faith. Well, it is easy for us to breeze past our passage on Angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary and move on to the actual birth in chapter 2 of Luke. After all, isn't that the event itself? And when we do that, we can almost miss the implication of what it meant for Mary when she uttered those words in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Because Luke did not spell it out for us. He has left it uh, to us to exercise our imagination as to what it might have cost her. And let's do just that. To begin with, 
how is Mary going to explain to her husband that she is now pregnant? Well, I'll leave it to your creativity to think of what she might have said. But nothing comes to my mind that would have convinced me if I was Joseph. And what if Joseph decides to divorce her? Well, you see, in those days, marriage had two parts to it. You are betrothed or engaged, and then followed by the marriage itself, usually a year later. A Jewish engagement includes a contract and exchange of a brighter price. The brighter price is paid to the bride's father since he has lost a daughter and a helper, and there will be a written agreement or oath given by the son. And once these two things were done, the couple was engaged. An engagement was legally binding. And so it could be broken off only through a divorce. And both parties during this period were considered husband and wife. And so if Mary had sexual intercourse with another person, it would have been considered adultery. And that's why we're told in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, that when Joseph found out Mary was pregnant, he, well, could, resolved to divorce her quietly. And so Mary knew she could be facing divorce when she said, let it be to me according to your word. And a stigma of divorce might mean that she could never marry again. And she could even have been chased out of her family, her own family, and made destitute. And since she would have been considered to have committed adultery by Jewish laws, there's also the possibility of the death penalty, even though this punishment, we know, was no longer commonly applied in those days. And then, of course, there is the public shame. As someone puts it, her reputation is about to be demolished by local gossip. And in fact, the gossip never really ended even after Jesus was born. For example, the Gospel of Mark records for us instances when Jesus' enemies implied that he was illegitimate. In Mark chapter 6, for instance, we read, And on the Sabbath, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Did you hear that? Did you catch that? They called Jesus the son of Mary, not the son of Joseph, as they should. And I have no doubt that such gossip continued throughout Mary's life. Mary's obedience of faith did not come cheap. It was costly. Let me conclude. Today we celebrate the fourth Sunday of Advent. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And so we remember Advent because we want to look back and celebrate Jesus' first coming as foretold by the angel Gabriel to Mary 2,000 years ago. And at the same time, we want to look forward in eager anticipation to Jesus' second coming when he returns for his people and to judge the world. And these are facts that we can believe even when we do not fully understand. Well, after all, how can we ever understand how Jesus can be fully God and fully man? And these are facts that we can humbly submit to even when it seems impossible to believe. And these are facts that we can be thankful for 
even when what we believe is not yet fulfilled, because we continue to await Jesus' second coming in the future. And I hope our story about Mary today is an encouragement to you that we can. We can do all that. I started this sermon telling the story about the villagers who claimed to believe in a prayer of the priest to bring rain, but did not bring the umbrellas. The point of the story is that the best evidence that we do have faith in Jesus is how we live our lives, what we do, what we actually do, whether we live our lives shaped by that faith or we live it oblivious to that faith. And when we live our lives shaped by that faith, we find that God will work through our faith to bring about his purposes. Mary did just that. She lived her life based on a faith that she had in the word of God. And you know the outcome. Luke writes for us that Mary will be called blessed for all generations. And likewise, those of us who believed and now consider Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we too are called blessed. And we know this because in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, John the Apostle writes, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, if you have not yet accepted the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, this season is a good time to consider doing so. And for those of us who have accepted the invitation, let us say to God each day, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.